God had told Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on Jesus Christ is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deed be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the Living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. We have been studying the Gospel of John here on The Unchanging Word, and we are in chapter 3, beginning at verse 14 today. Our passage reveals the purpose for which God gave His Son, love, and its provision for the world. This passage reveals for what purpose God did and did not send His Son into the world, and it is quite clear. And just as there are consequences to believing, there are also consequences for unbelief. Dr. Mitchell goes on to show how it is that some people oppose the Savior and the Word of God. And rejecting God's provision, Jesus himself, a person is condemned, not for being bad, but for unbelief in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Where do you stand, my friend? Are you willing to come to the light and believe in Christ? I would strongly encourage you to do this. Just speak to Jesus. Well, let's turn in our Bible to John chapter 3, verse 14 with our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. We come to you today and it's so wonderful for us to be able to sit down and just talk to you face to face and to know that the Spirit of God is here to open our eyes to the wonders of our Savior, to open our minds to what truth He has revealed in His Word for I want to remind you again that the Word of God is God's communication to you and to me. God has not left himself without witness. He has already communicated to men his person, his purpose, his power, his program. And God is more anxious to save sinners than they are to be saved. But God's a holy God. He's a righteous God. 
and man is a sinner. Even this man Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a moralist, a religionist, a leader in Israel, yet he must be born again. The Lord told him he was born wrong. Man's condition demands that there must be a transformation of being born again of the Spirit of God. The very holy, righteous character of God demands it. How can a man or a woman come into the presence of God without being clothed with the righteousness of Christ? But you see, Mr. Mitchell, I'm a, I'm a good man. I'm a religious man. That might be true. But I'm also reminded what Isaiah said, and he was a great man, was Isaiah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. Yet he could say that our righteousness is in God's sight as filthy rags. And the Lord turns and reveals to Nicodemus the way of the new birth. You must be born of water and born of the Spirit. Nicodemus couldn't, couldn't understand this. And the Lord rebukes him. As a teacher, as a leader in Israel, he should have known that the time was going to come when God was going to write on the fleshly tables of the heart his own instructions. Uh, Jeremiah spoke of this and Ezekiel spoke of it and Nicodemus should have known it. So our Lord did a very simple thing. He went back to the Old Testament and took out of Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 21, and uh, reminded Nicodemus of the story of how Israel was smitten by poisonous snakes and much people of Israel died and God gave them a remedy. God did not remove he didn't remove the snakes, but he provided a remedy. Why did he provide a remedy? That they might have respect for the remedy. You see, friend, I'm living in a world of sin. Man is born in sin. All of us, to a more or less degree, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God is absolute in righteousness and holiness. How in the world can we ever come in his presence? The impossibility of he, doesn't matter what we do. This man, Nicodemus, was a religionist, a moralist, leader, preacher. But he had to be born again. You have to be born again. I have to be born again. And so the Lord came and took this little story in Numbers chapter 20, 21, and you remember, everyone who looked to the remedy. For you remember that God had told Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And everyone who looked lived. And as they looked, they were delivered. Likewise, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was lifted up. And as verse 14 and 15 says, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's all he asks. In the Old Testament, they looked and lived. Today we are to believe and live. Only with us, it's going to be eternal life. So you have in verses 14 and 15, a substitute was provided. And all they had to do was to believe God. And when they believed God, they were healed. In verse 16, we have love and its provision. And I'm not going to spend too much time on John 3, 16. It's an amazing, amazing thing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. However great the sins, however weak the faith, if you put Jesus Christ as the object of your faith, of your trust, my friend, you'll not perish, you'll not come into judgment, but you'll have everlasting life. Here is the provision that God, that love has made for us. You remember Romans 5, 8, and I know you know most of these verses, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John 3, 5, it says, you know that he was made manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Luke 19, 10, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of your acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In the epistle of John, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, herein is love, not that we love God. <laughs> no, no, no. God loved us and sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And in the 10th verse, it is repeated with this change. He sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for our saints. What a wonderful thing. God is love. Twice in that chapter, 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And we love him because he first loved us. And as John 13, 1 says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And love is ever manifested by sacrifice. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, friend, listen. Sometimes in speaking to children, I've taken this precious verse 16. A wonderful God gave to us his wonderful son. And this wonderful son became a wonderful sacrifice for you and for me. He became a wonderful Savior that we should not perish and gave us a wonderful hope, eternal life. God so loved, so loved, so loved the world. I don't know how in the world he could. It is beyond human comprehension. It's very, very hard for all of us to begin to understand something of divine love that can love folk like you and me. But he so loved us. He so loved us that he sent his only begotten son. He gave up heaven's greatest gift. And the son of God took his place in humanity. For what purpose? To die that you and I might not die. To put away our sins that you and I may be forgiven every sin. He the righteous died for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. See, friend, and whosoever, my, what a promise, whosoever, anybody, anybody, I don't care for you about your culture, I don't care what your condition is, I don't care how great your sins are, I don't even care how weak your faith is. But I tell you, my friend, if you put your trust in the Savior the best way you know how, he has promised you will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life.
Is that worth having? Is that worth having? Look at the next verse. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. He sent the Son into the world that the world through him might be saved. God sent his Son. And may I inject here in this gospel through John, you're going to find all the way through, nearly 40 times in the gospel through John, God sent his Son. Our Savior came from heaven on a mission. And when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished, mission accomplished. What was it? He made provision whereby you, I don't care who you are, if you'll just simply put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll pass from death to life. And the great purpose why God sent his son into the world was not only to reveal to man the heart and character of God, but he sent his son into the world because of you. Because of you, my friend. If you had been the only sinner on earth, he would have still sent his son that you might be saved. I can't find words in the English language to express just how I feel about this verse. God so loved the world. Put your name in there. God so loved John G. Mitchell that he gave his only begotten son that Mitchell should not perish but that he should have eternal life on one ground to put my trust in the Savior. You see, friend, the important thing is not so much your faith, but the object of your faith. And when Jesus Christ, the risen, glorified Son of God, is the object of your faith, then you receive eternal life. You pass from death to life. Every sin is forgiven. You become a child of the living God. Wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think that everybody would accept this? Take a verse like Hebrews 9.26. He appeared once in the end of the age to put away sin, but a sacrifice of himself. This man, by one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Oh, friend, may I plead with your heart. Are you going to turn down God's offer of salvation? And just like the Israelites of old, under the sentence of death, just looked at the divine provision, the serpent on the pole. They, they lived. They were healed immediately. Likewise, we, the moment we turn to Jesus, God's precious Son whom he sent, put our trust in him, we pass from death to life. And he guarantees we shall not perish. Just like you have in John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Now, wouldn't you think that people would accept this? Oh, no. Oh, no. You come down now to verse 18 to 21, and I find the opposition to this. You mean to tell me, sir, there are people in the earth who will oppose Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners? That's right. That's right. Many people, thousands of folk, will not openly oppose it, but they're indifferent toward it, just coldly indifferent. They've heard the message. Tens of thousands of people in your area, in my area, have heard the gospel one way or another. Many have heard it on this radio even on my program, Know Your Bible Hour. And yet, 
have never accepted the Savior. They've never come to grips with the fact of simply getting down and accepting Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior and Lord. So when I come to verse 18 through 21, I find there's a great opposition to this. Let me read it to you. He that believeth on Jesus Christ is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me just stop here. Will you please notice? It says, He that believeth on him, on Jesus Christ, is not condemned. Now, we had this in verse 15. We had it in verse 16. We have it in verse 18. And you go right down to the last verse. You have it again in verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And we have that the consequence of believing is not only cleansing from sin, but eternal life. But listen to this. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, he's condemned already, not because he's bad, not because he's a sinner, not because he's, something, not because he's done something wrong, but because he has not accepted the divine provision God has made for him. It's just like a person here being sick, very sick with a, a deadly disease. And, and there's no hope, apparently no hope. And someone comes along and says, I've got a remedy for your disease. If you take this remedy, I'll guarantee you'll be healed. And the fellow dies. He spurns the remedy. Did he die because of the disease? You say, yes. No, no. He spurned the remedy. He could have been healed. God has made the provision whereby you, my friend, can be saved, can be cleansed from all your sin and become a child of the living God, having eternal life. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He'll not come into judgment. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What do you mean by that? He has not put his trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now, let me read the reason for that. This is the condemnation, verse 19, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be made manifest and reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deed be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Notice the contrast, the difference between a believer, or let me change the wording, the difference between a Christian, one who is a Christian, and one who is not a Christian, is Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. Men will not trust Jesus because they love their sin. They love darkness rather than light. They prefer darkness to light. They prefer sin to grace. The issue, my friend, is Christ. Take John, John 8, 24. Jesus said to the Jews of his day, If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. But if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Jesus said this. Oh, friend, listen. 
I don't know who you are, I don't know where you are, I don't know what you are. It's neither here nor there. I know one thing, the reason a person is saved is because they have put their trust in Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And the reason why men and women are lost is because they will not put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the reason why they don't is not because they haven't heard. It's because they love their sin more than they love Christ. They love darkness rather than light. And loving darkness, they will go into eternal darkness. My friend, that's the, that's the sad story. In the 49th Psalm, it says, They concerning those who spurn the Lord, they shall go into darkness and they shall never, never see light. You see, God is light. And as 1 John chapter 1 says, this is the message which we declare unto you that God is light. Verse 5 of that chapter. And in him is no darkness at all. And if a person comes into the presence of God in his sin, in darkness, he's preferred darkness to light. God doesn't need to send him into darkness. God doesn't need to send them out to his presence. A man out of Christ will be very glad to get out of the presence of God. I say this very sincerely. It's not that God will send them into our impenetrable darkness. Man prefers darkness to light. He prefers his sin to a savior. He prefers death to life. Look at that last verse. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth upon him. And this, this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. May I close with this statement? Friend, listen. There are two kingdoms today. Two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of darkness. There is the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of darkness are those who are not in Christ, Death reigns there. Satan is the prince of the, of the kingdom of darkness. There's no light there. The kingdom of God's Son is the kingdom of light. And when a sinner comes to John 3.16 and accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, he's immediately translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's precious Son. Now, you find this in Colossians chapter 1, about verse 12 and 13, where we read, He hath translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son. And today, while I'm talking to you, you can be translated out of sin into a Savior, out of death into life, out of darkness into light. You can be transformed from a child of wrath into a child of God by just doing one thing. Becoming religious? No. By doing some good work? No. By going through some ceremony? No. But by putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Again, may I make the statement, however great your sins may be, 
however weak your faith is, if Jesus Christ is the object of that faith, if you, the best way you know how, you're putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I guarantee you, my friend, you'll pass from death to life, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Isn't that wonderful? Every sin forgiven. Eternal life is yours as a gift from God, and you become a child of the living God. Who would turn down such a Savior? No wonder Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Mr. Mitchell, you say, You don't know how big a sinner I am. I don't care how big a sinner you are. All I know one thing is, He says, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Why don't you come today? What condescension, oh, how can it be? What shame he suffered, oh, what agony. And then the death he died, for sinners crucified. What grace is this? What grace is this? Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. Our teacher has been Dr. John G. Mitchell. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.